For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Christians do not deny the reality of pain. What Christians do is compare the reality of pain to the reality of future glory. And when you put them on the scale, no matter how deep your sorrow, no matter how intense your pain, the weight of future glory outweighs it all. We're glad you've joined us today. For Resonate, I'm Aaron Paulus. Just turn on the TV or glance over your Facebook feed and you'll see many kinds of suffering and hardship taking place in our nation and around the world. But to the Christian, the brokenness of this world cannot compare to the future glory that will be revealed. Today, Pastor Trent helps us understand what the Bible says about the future and the future hope of every believer. Here's Pastor Trent. Let me ask you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. How many of you like brand new stuff? You like to get new stuff, yeah. And uh, that's part of the fall, actually. Uh, But um, I'm like that, too. I like new stuff. And if you are a person that likes new stuff, you're going to like this message because it's all about the new stuff that we're going to get because we're talking about the last doctrine in our Think series. And what would you imagine the last doctrine would be? It's going to be the doctrine of the future, or we might say the doctrine of last things. Uh, We call it eschatology. Now, eschatology is not the study of cats. Um, It's the study of last things, which means God has a plan, and uh, everything is going right along according to His plan, and it's going to end the way that God wants it to end. And if you are a Christian, that ought to bring great hope to your heart. So I need to know who's here today so I can know who my target is. How many of you are worry warts? Raise your hand. You're a worry wart. Hold them in the air. Uh, Some of you are looking at your wife and you're like, why isn't your hand in the air? Stick your hand in the air there. Some of you are looking at your husband and say, you're the biggest worry wart in our family. Well, listen, the doctrine of eschatology is wart removal, okay? (laughs) It is. We've got to view our present and our past through what we know is going to happen in the future. And Christians uniquely have a hope because God has told us some things that are going to happen in the future. Now, there are some people in the room right now. I can see it. As soon as I put up the word eschatology, man, you started unfolding charts and diagrams and maps in your the back of your Bible. And, and man, you get into all the, t- the times and the seasons and the dates and, and how it's all going to end. You got all these things figured out from the tribulation to the millennium to the... And you, the, you just got it all... It, well, can I just be honest with you? I do not have it all figured out. And, um, and I, there's so many things in Scripture that I think I was taught... Um, earlier that I'm now like having to rethink because I'm reading things through a different lens now. And and I'm not going to preach to you anything I don't know today, okay? So everybody just calm down. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you from Scripture four things that we absolutely know for sure are going to happen. And if we know these things are going to happen in the future, it's going to change the way we live in the present. 
And it will even help us view what we've experienced in the past. So I ask you if you were a worry ward, how many of you uh, this week experienced any kind of pain? Raise your hand. Any kind of pain. Back pain, that's me. Uh, emotional pain. Um, parents, raise your hand. Emotional pain. All right, good. Um, um, uh, teenager, algebra. Anybody got algebra? Raise your hand. Algebra, okay. Biology, history, science, any of those subjects, that, that causes a degree of pain. School in general causes pain. Parents love it too. So uh, anyway, uh, anybody that's experienced any pain, how about anybody that's experienced any kind of relational disappointment this week? Any kind of relational, everybody that's married, raise your hand, because you were judging the performance of your spouse all week, and at some point they just didn't measure up, and and you were hurt by that. And so listen, we, ought, we don't, we're not living in any kind of, of, of denial of reality when we think about the future. It's because we experience pain and disappointment and heartache and suffering in this world that we must embrace what we know about the future. So, do you know these four things about the future? Now, before we, 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 we look at the four things, I, I want us to, to view them through a proper grid. Now, if you come to Harvest Bible Chapel for any time at all, you are going to have at least an understanding. You may not believe it yet. You may be skeptical about it, but you're going to have an understanding about what we call the gospel. You know what the number one priority of this church is? It is to preach gospel, and by preaching the gospel and people responding to it in faith and repentance, we make disciples. So what is the gospel? When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the gospel of personal transformation. You can sum it up in four words. God, man, Christ response. Here's the gospel. God is holy. You are not. That should trouble you. And that's a problem. God solved that problem in Jesus Christ who came to be a personal Savior for who? All those who will respond in faith and repentance. That's the gospel. If you've never heard the gospel before, you just heard it. The bottom line, that's the story of the Bible. Every person is under the wrath of God because God is holy. We are not. Christ came to bridge the gap and only those who repent and believe will be saved. There's the gospel. And we talk about that every Sunday. If somebody preaches from this platform and at some point doesn't unpack that in some way, we failed. Now, that is one way to view the gospel. Now, there's only one gospel, but there's another way to view the gospel. And that is not only the gospel of personal transformation, that is the gospel of cosmic transformation. Because what God is doing is not just about you. We live in such an individualistic society that we think that God exists for me. It's just what God's doing with me. God is so much bigger than you and has so many more things on His heart than you. We need to understand things cosmically and globally and through the lens of all of history past and all of eternity future. The gospel of cosmic transformation can be summed up in four words as well. Creation, fall, reconciliation, and consummation. So here's the story of the gospel. God created a perfect world with two perfect people. Can you imagine being married to a perfect person? He's like, no, I can't. Well, Adam had one and and, and Eve had one for a while. 
And then, um, then they, they fell into sin. They stepped outside of God's boundaries for their lives. They challenged God's right to be God. They said, we'd like to run the universe for a while. And so they grabbed hold of something that God said is forbidden. And not only did they fall individually, but all of creation at that point fell as well. The fall affected all of creation. Do you know what that means? You and I live in a world God never intended for us to live in. God created a perfect environment for you to experience no pain, no disappointment, no sorrow, no school. (laughs) I thought I'd get an amen out of that section over there, okay? Why would there be no school? Because there's nothing to learn. You'd have perfect knowledge. All the knowledge God wants you, you just give it to you. That's great. That sounds like heaven, doesn't it? That we're getting to that. That's what the whole message is about, right? So, like, man, I'm glad I came today. So, but now we live in a broken world. It doesn't work right. Marriage doesn't work right. My brain doesn't work right. My body doesn't work right. And I experience all of this sorrow and disappointment and pain because I live in a fallen world. But Christ came to a fallen world and became a perfect man and lived the life that we never could have lived. And he died the death that we should have died. And in that, which goes back to the gospel of personal transformation, Christ came to reconcile all those who would repent and believe back to him and they can have the relationship with God that God intended for us to have when he created a perfect world with Adam and Eve. We can have all of that. But there's one more point, this word consummation. Do you see the space in between the word reconciliation and consummation? That's where you live. You live in the space in between. Because what we believe is that Christ has done everything necessary to establish and inaugurate His kingdom on the earth. He has not yet consummated that kingdom, we are still living in a broken world even though we are reconciled with God. So when we view the future, what we are looking forward to is the consummation of the kingdom of God in the world so that the kingdoms of this world bow before the kingdoms of our God. That's the future hope of every Christian, and that's what we look forward to in the future. Here's four things we know about the future. First of all, the future will reverse the curse on a groaning creation. Hope for it. I want you to see this in your Bible, eyes on your copy of Scripture here in Romans chapter 8. Now, for all of those that experienced any kind of heartache, any kind of sorrow, any kind of pain, verse 18 is for you. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Christians do not deny the reality of pain. What Christians do is compare the reality of pain to the reality of future glory. And when you put them on the scale, no matter how deep your sorrow, no matter how intense your pain, 
the weight of future glory outweighs it all. And so we view the difficulty through the lens of future glory. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what Paul was experiencing here. We just know he suffered. And you've suffered as well. But then he said that future glory, he, he didn't know exactly what was going to be revealed. He's just like, I don't even really know how to describe it. The only word I can pick out of my vocabulary is the word glory. It's just going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. The word glory has its root in, in the word weight. And that bears such weight on my soul that no matter how much weight the suffering is or has caused, I consider the glory bigger and more weighty than the suffering. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, who are the sons of God? We learned this a couple of weeks ago because we said that we have been adopted into the family of God, all those who repent and believe. So this is an incredible verse. Do you see what it says? It's outside of our little individualistic reconciliation to God. There's something else waiting for reconciliation. What is that? It's the creation. There's a sense in which this verse says the creation waits. How many of you are good at waiting in lines? You know, you get any traffic at all on Grape Road, and you're just like, oh, this is horrible. The metropolis of Granger and Mishawaka is just really... And the people from Dallas and Atlanta or Chicago are laughing at you, right? So anyway, but we're, we're not very good at waiting. The creation, in a sense, waits. What's it waiting for? It's waiting for the reconciliation with God that the sons of God are already experiencing. There's a sense in which the creation is watching us. And it's like, I can't wait for what's happening to you to happen to me. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subject to futility. The word means emptiness. It's, it's like a factory that doesn't produce what it was designed to produce. Everything it produces is flawed and broken and dysfunctional and, and, and just it, it doesn't work right. So the, the, the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That the creation itself will be set free. Now, from the bondage to corruption... So let's talk about what it, what it, the creation is bound to corruption and it's subjected to futility. When did that happen? Now, I didn't learn a whole lot in high school, but I remember a lesson in science class on the subject of the second law of thermodynamics. I mean, you just say that and you sound smart, right? You can fool people with this, all right? So, the second law of thermodynamics, other word, in other words, the, the law of entropy. By the way, this is a law, not a theory. And what does the law state? In, in layman's terms, it simply states this. Everything tends toward disorder. Okay? So you tell your teenager, I want you to go clean up your room. They go and they expend effort and sweat 
and labor and it takes time. It takes intelligence to put it in order. How much intelligence does it take for it to go from order to disorder? Zero. It just happens, right? And this world is decaying. That's why you don't look as good today as you did 10 years ago. Okay? Everything is moving from order to disorder, which, by the way, completely, this law, this scientific law, completely contradicts the theory of evolution, right? Things are not going from simple to complex. Things are going from complex to simple. They're going from order to disorder. Everything is winding down and blowing up and just, it's just, and what is that? The Bible talks about it right here in Romans chapter 8. When the world was subjected to futility. When was that? That was at the fall. God didn't create the world to work like that. He created a perfect environment where that you didn't have to work for things. Things just happened and it's just wonderful, peace-filled and productive and fruitful and fulfilling, but now it is broken and futile, and we all feel that. And we're waiting, and the creation is waiting to be set free of the second law of thermodynamics. When's that going to happen? Let's read about it. Verse 21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, if you're a mother, you know what that verse means. You may not understand any of the rest of the Bible. You know what verse 22 means, right? There is a pain that goes along with waiting for childbirth, right? And you're waiting, and you're waiting for new life to appear. It's exactly the illustration that he's using. We have to go through the pain to experience the new that is to come in the future. Now, none of the guys in the room even have a clue what I'm talking about right now, and the mothers are questioning my even authority to say it, right? So I just want you to know that I remember a time about five years ago, I remember I had breakfast with a, a friend in the church, and we went to McDonald's and ate a, a, a sausage biscuit. And uh, it was a good sausage biscuit, but then about 30 minutes after I, I ate it, I'm like, I'm starting to experience this horrible pain. I'm like, that was a bad pig that gave his life for that sausage biscuit, you know, and now I may have to give mine. And this is, this is a horrible. And I was started, I was just started doubling over and I'm like groaning, like, oh. I mean, there's just no words for that kind of pain, you know. And then I'm, I found myself, I was just like rolling around on the church office floor. I'm like, oh. And my staff was looking at me like, we'll pray for you. And uh, I'm like, no, this is really bad. You know, what do I do? And I was kind of new to the community. I'm like, is there a hospital in town? I'm like, yeah. You turn right and you go down the block and turn left like uh, could you drive me no we're, we gotta pray but you know so you know, I'm, I'm like well it turns out I got there and I had a kidney stone did you hear the groan when I said that that's exactly what this verse is talking about the whole creation is groaning waiting for this thing to rectify itself that is the curse that fell on the creation when Adam and Eve sinned. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we feel this pain. 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting too. What are we waiting for? We've already been reconciled through Christ. We're waiting for the consummation. The re- when can we get rid of these bodies and be set free from the corruption that is this creation? That day's coming. And he says in verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. Past, present, or future tense, saved. Whenever you see the word saved in your Bible, ask yourself, is this past, present, or future? Which one is that? Past. We were saved. If you by faith have come to Christ, embraced His work on the cross as your payment for sin, you have been saved but you're not yet saved. All right, now you're confusing me. What are we talking about here? We're still waiting for the consummation of our salvation, right? I mean, it's a done deal in the past, what Christ did 2,000 years ago, and really from the foundation of the earth, that was a done deal. But now I'm waiting for the future of my salvation. And he talks about it. And what is this? It says, for in this we were saved, but now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? We haven't yet seen what we will be saved from. That's still coming in the future. Then in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with Patience. How's your patience? If you have a patience problem, that's not your deepest problem. If you have a patience problem, you have a hope problem. Do you see that? If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So the key to patience is a future hope. So hope is kind of one of those big fuzzy words. What is it? Hope is not like, man, I hope Notre Dame goes to a bowl game. I won't even go there, but that's not hope, okay? Not the kind of hope we're talking about here. This kind of hope is a confident assurance of future freedom. That's what that is. So what does that mean? Again, it means that I see all the pain, all the suffering, all the disappointment, all the failure, all the futility of this broken world through the lens of what I'm hoping for in the future. Not, I hope I'll get to heaven, but I have a confident assurance that this world will be set free from its curse. You have that kind of hope? You can't even endure the pain until you have that kind of hope. We read the headlines, and what we see as Christians is filtered through the lens of knowing there's a better day coming. Whatever's happening in Iraq, whatever's happening in Israel, whatever happens in Ferguson, Missouri, we understand that God is not bothered. God is not threatened. God is right on course. He's right on schedule. His plan will be fulfilled We are just waiting to see what we know the future holds for us. Here's the second thing we know about the future. The future will begin 
with the return of Christ. Long for it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 tells us about the return of Christ. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many. That was in the past. That's the gospel of personal transformation. But He will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because He already did that. When He comes a second time, what's He going to do? He's going to save past, present, or future save future. He's going to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Now we're talking about the gospel of of cosmic transformation. We're going to be set free from these bodies when He comes again. So what will it be like? What, What do we know about, again, a lot of speculation, a lot of things that we're really not clear about, and we can debate those things and have fun with them, but here's what we know about the return of Christ. Number one, it will be sudden. The Bible says it'll be like a thief in the night. We don't even know when it's coming, but it's coming. How many of you believe we're living in the last days? Raise your hand. All right. More and more we believe that, don't we? How many of you, uh, raise your hand if you believe we're living in the last day? That's the hope that at any moment, at any time, on any given day, Christ could come. So we know His return will be sudden. We also know that His return will be personal. John 14.3 is such an incredibly intimate verse. It says, this is Jesus speaking to His closest disciples. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to Myself, that where I am, you may be also. How many of you have ever built a home? You ever, you ever like build your own home? We, we did that, our first home that didn't have wheels on it was actually a home that we built. And, um, and, and it took like nine months to build it. Like I didn't build anything. I don't know how to build anything, but I know how to find somebody that does know how to build stuff. And, and they built the home. It took like nine months. And, and you pick out all your cabinets and your flooring and your paint and all those different things. It took me nine months. It was a nice home. But listen, Jesus promised that he was going to prepare a place. And he, he left the earth like 2,000 years ago. Do you know what he's been doing since that time? He's been building you a home. Now, my home was nice. took nine months to build it. He's been working on his for 2,000 years. I'm thinking it's going to be an upgrade, okay, over whatever you got going on here. There is a place that is prepared for you. And he says, I will come again and I will take you not just to heaven, I'm taking you to myself, the place where I dwell, that where I am, you may be also. Do you see how intimately personal we are to view the return of Christ? So if you're a person that gets all jacked up about charts and diagrams and times and dates and all that stuff, you you probably have missed this very intimate, personal understanding of the return of of Christ. Don't miss it. It's personal. Not only is it personal, it is going to be visible. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and the sound of trumpets of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Today, Pastor Trent has taught us from Scripture that for every believer, there's a better day coming when Christ returns. We hope that you have believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins 
so that Christ's return will not only be a better day for you, but your best day. Well, you've been listening to Resonate with Trent Griffith, and we're so glad you've been with us today. We'd like to invite you to visit us at one of our weekend worship services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, hoping you'll join us again next week. And until then, may God's word resonate in your heart and mind. Resonate is a ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.